Hi, and welcome to Bootstrap, The Lighter Side, where entrepreneurs who have grown successful startups from the ground up share their inspiring stories. In each episode, you'll hear from accomplished founders about starting a business, managing a runway, and raising capital on their terms. I am Melissa Widner, the CEO of Lighter Capital, a leader in founder-friendly, non-dilutive funding. Visit lightercapital.com to learn more. Today, we'll speak with Lighter Capital's chairman, Mark Brissimo. Mark has more than 30 years of experience in banking and SaaS financing, including serving on numerous boards. And for those of you who are avid bootstrap listeners, you may recall we spoke with Mark back in March about the contributing factors to SVB's failure and what its failure may mean to the future of SaaS startups. Today, we'll be getting Mark's insights on the continued ripple effects taking place in banking, including changes in venture debt and fintech businesses. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Why don't we start off with, you know, what is the future of small banks? In the year 2000, there were over 8,000 of them in the U.S. Today, there are 4,000. Will the recent events spur even further consolidation? And and how many banks will we have 10 years from now? (laughs) Um, I think consolidation will continue to occur. It's difficult to say whether there'll be a more aggressive pace of consolidation. Because when I started banking in the late 70s, there was about 20,000 banks, and uh, today we're down to 4,000. So it's been a pretty steady decline in institutions. I will say today, it's, it's certainly a very challenging environment for any bank below the top five, um, which are, in a sense, too big to fail. So the banks below there, you know, you're sort of scrapping day to day for deposits, you're paying very high rates for deposits, which squeezing your margin. The regulatory climate um, appears to be changing to be more restrictive. So you're having to again, spend more money there. So to me, those things kind of push you towards more consolidation as banks need to get bigger to be able to absorb the costs and also to project uh, stability to their depositors, which is the number one concern of banks right now. With that, we know that Lighter Capital provides funding to tech companies. And typically these are companies that banks won't lend to, you know, even small banks won't lend to because they're not profitable and don't have hard assets. But small banks do provide a lot of the capital for small businesses, for the local small businesses. So as we see consolidation in small banks, is it going to be more difficult for, for small businesses to get growth capital? Yeah, I would think so, because I think even today, if you look at the, you know, the regional banks, the smaller banks, they're very much focused on their balance sheet, very much focused on liquidity deposits. And, you know, there's sort of several hurdles you have to get through. You know, banks now are saying there are industries I don't want to do business with. So that's one thing. Then if it's an industry I want to do business in, I want to do business with, you know, higher quality companies. And then Besides that, even if it's a high-quality company, what deposits are they going to bring? Because, um, again, I'm constantly looking for deposits, additional liquidity. So to me, the hurdles have gone up, and that doesn't include pricing. Right. Because right now, the banks, the if you looked at pre-pandemic, what happened during the pandemic, and then what happened over the last year, the rate of interest the banks had to pay on their deposits is far greater than the projections by analysts or the banks themselves. 
because previously they'd be able to rely on a fair amount of sticky money, large sticky money, you know, few million. And some of it would sit in the checking account and some would sit in a money market account, which was paying decent, but, you know, below market rates. Today, if you're a customer and you've got, let's say, $5 million, you go to a bank, they'll keep $250,000 on their balance sheet. They'll put the other $4.75 million with other banks, parcel it out. You're still with the bank. Nothing's changed. The only changed thing for the bank is that they're paying a much higher rate for those deposits than they were previously. So, you know, to me, the margin is going to continue to be squeezed in, in that way that it wasn't in previous cycles. Well, we saw a lot of companies open up a second account at one of the big four, big five banks after the SVB collapse. But what I heard you saying is, you know, it's maybe not necessary. Even the smaller banks are are spreading around the deposit, so you get that two hundred fifty thousand dollars of FDIC insurance, even when you're even when you have all of your your eggs in one basket, and that basket is a small bank. So should should lighter capital companies and other small businesses not worry about the safety of their deposits if they're banking at smaller banks? Yeah, I think if they're banking with a smaller bank, and the bank does have you know, the product that allows them to split, you know, split the deposits up among multiple banks and get that protection. I personally would do that because a larger bank's not going to do anything for you or very little for you. But for a smaller bank, the deposits really matter. And and deposits count even if it's split up. I mean, it counts for the bank. So I would tend to consolidate and be with one bank the only reason I would do a second bank is if I have some concerns about either service service in certain categories or if I want to make sure I've got a second bank that I can rely on for credit and, and business. But as far as deposits, I, I wouldn't do that for the deposit issue. Well, let's talk about Silicon Valley Bank. That was a rough four days we had in from March 10th to March 14th this year but then it it was you know pretty quickly back to business as usual under first citizens we have you know a lot of friends there svb and lighter capital um have a very strong relationship as you know a lot of people did go to other banks when that happened and did leave svb but a lot of people are still there and you know it does seem to be back to business as usual do you think you must know a lot of people still there or people who were at SBB at the time of the collapse? Do you think a bank like First Citizens will be able to keep the business model, SVB's business model, which was really unique, and their culture over the long term? Well, clearly, you know, they started out well. I mean, I think they're they're treating SVB as a as a subsidiary of First Citizens. So it's running its own operations. And that seems to be going pretty well to date. The only cautions I would have was that First Citizens over the last two to three years has quadrupled their size. They went from 50 million and then they bought a leasing company, which doubled them to 100 million. And then Silicon Valley Bank now doubles them again. So they've gone from 50 billion up to 200 billion, which is one you know, rapid growth for for a bank. Second, it puts you in a different crosshairs and a regulatory oversight and what they expect to see. So I think there will be some strains on the bank as they, you know, attempt to 
both rationalize your business and also meet regulatory expectations of what they're supposed to do. But I would say short run, it's it's run well. You know, you know the people over there, Mark Cadger being the CEO who's been there 30 years. Um, so you've got you've got the the intact team there running. And if, again, if Persist and Smart, they'll leave them alone and let yeah. them run, run their business. But I think historically people would say, well, that's a good idea. But historically, we, we haven't seen that happen. Right. And there's been these kind of takeovers. I mean, they are a big bank and it is considered risky to lend to companies that aren't profitable and are relying on future rounds of, of venture financing for survival. I mean, that said, Silicon Valley Bank did it incredibly well and with a an enviable low loss rate, but they stuck with it. Silicon Valley Bank did even during the downturns, which um, I don't know if you have any opinion on what will happen when we have even more of a downturn. We're in a bit of it. We're in a downturn right now, but when we have a, a, a real downturn similar to the dot-com crash or the GFC, if if first citizens will stick with this business model. Yeah, you would think there, well, I agree with you previously, the bank did stick with them, but it was, you could argue the bank didn't have any choice. You know, that was their marketplace. And if you looked at the distribution of their earnings, it was coming from there. So they hunkered down, we hunkered down and, and made it through. If you now look at First Citizens, they clearly have other, you know, big businesses um, that, you know, that give them some ballast. And the question is, like you said, if it gets very serious, do they pull back a little bit and say, okay, just up your standards, be a little more judicious because we don't, you're not our only business. And so um, we don't want you taking undue risk uh, in the portfolio. I know this isn't them, but other banks, it's been interesting as they, a big bank acquired, you know, someone in the tech field, typically they acquired it for the deposits because there's a lot of deposits that, that came with tech right. lending. But what they didn't do, which I was kind of surprised because I talked to a few people over there at, at another bank where the credit administrator didn't say, geez, I've got a $30 billion portfolio and my tech is $3 billion. Therefore, you know, I may be able to take a little more risk in that $3 billion than my average loan over here. Instead, they kept the same discipline across everything. And so it, it hampered the growth of the tech side of the bank because the credit minister just wasn't willing to, the chief credit minister wasn't willing to step out, even though he had a very large portfolio to deal with. Time will tell whether that is how first, first citizens approaches it. Along those same lines, um, a lot of SVB's former employees moved to banks that really leaned into this space after the SVB collapse. Um, the the two that I think of most are Stiefel and HSBC. And of course, JP Morgan came into the space a few years before the collapse and hired a lot of ex-SVB people. But we saw a lot of ex-SVB people after the collapse go to Stiefel and HSBC. And right now, we thought we would have a very uncompetitive market and it would be difficult to find venture debt. But my observation, at least, is that the opposite is true because you've got four banks really competing very aggressively. You know, I see JP Morgan, SVB, Stiefel, and HSBC competing aggressively for these, um, to do venture debt for these venture backed deals, which is a space that's different 
than lighters, lighter capitals. But do you think that these banks will stick with it in the inner downturn? Yeah. Well, not it, just for citizens yeah. and SVB, but what about all the others who piled into this space? Yeah. To me, if you look at across the banking industry, I would say capacity's decreased. Whether it's commercial real estate, small business lending, et cetera, it's, it's decreased as banks have hunkered down. Venture debt is one of the few places where it's increased. Yeah. Where they've hired <laughs> lots of people. The banks have spent a lot of money for these people. They've put a lot of resources into it. And now everybody has to do business. At the same time, the venture capital market is shrinking. It's going through, you could say, probably going through as far as amplitude. The same thing happened in 2000, meaning it went from like 25 billion up to 100 billion in one year, and then dropped back down to 20 billion. If you look at the amplitude of 2008, 19, 20, 21, 22, you had that same huge, you know, increase, and now it's dropping. Valuations are dropping. You know, I hear mixed views of what's going on over there um, in the various um, companies. But I just think it's going to be a tough, tough time to do a lot of quality deals in a market that's shrinking with a lot of people wanting to do the same deals. And they're all aiming after the same venture capitalists and the same, the same deal volume. You know, I would say historically, you'd say people are going to get burned. And when they get burned, they'll pull back. And whether it's Stiefel, HSBC, is it RBC? I mean, you know, the name goes on and on. Yeah. Who's jumping into this thing? But I think people are going to get burned and they're going to pull back. Okay, well, let's let's shift a little bit to fintech lenders. Fintech lenders were having a rough time of it before SVB collapsed. And I think that the collapse um, didn't help. But we've seen you know, lighter capital as a fintech lender. And um, luckily, we're not reliant on outside capital for our operations. We do have a warehouse line, but fintech lenders really over the last decade have been in the venture space and, and taking ever increasingly higher rounds of venture to keep growing and keep going. And we've seen venture capitalists all but exit the alternative lending space. Um, it's not it's not a, a space that any, any venture capitalist I've met lately wants to invest in. So do we think we'll see a return to fintech lending from venture capitalists? And if not, how does this alternative lending world proliferate because that's that's what really you know was venture capital funding that helped it grow over the past decade yeah i you know i just think it, there was exuberance and i think you know unfortunately there were some high profile meltdowns of fintech companies some was their business model some was sloppiness in how they handle securitization etc on on those things those operational sloppiness that it caused downfall some. There's the promise of, you know, algorithms making every decision and, and doing it well. And I don't think those have, have come to fruition. And then there was always in the back of everybody's mind was, if you look at the fintech boom, it started after the 2008-2009 meltdown. So the problem was you had basically multiple years of up and to the right. And then people were constantly wondering, what happens if there's a downturn? What happens to the model? Because they don't have the deep history that uh, traditional banks or other lenders have. So I do think all those things put together have caused you sort of a pullback. On the other hand, I sat on the board of an endowment at my university, and all you, you hear a lot about private credit. 
Uh, and so on the endowment or the investor side, there seems to be still a big demand for private credit. So the question is, okay, where do you get that private credit? And recently saw BlackRock buy a large venture debt player in Europe. We've seen other people sort of nose around trying to figure out how do I get that, that underwriting, that um, scale of sales force to be able to bring in private credit deals. So going around, again, the traditional banking a mechanism for doing that. So with that pressure, to me, VCs will come back at some time, maybe more measured, not funding everything that, that moves, but do looking for, you know, I've got this huge deposit, you know, depositor pension funds, endowments, et cetera, that one half private credit is a good sliver there. Um, endowment. And so how do I feed that that need? Let's talk a little bit about uh, new regulations. We saw in, in um, previous downturns with the Enron blow up in um, the early part of this century, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley came out of that. And I think, um, you know, that's a lot of people view that to be overreaching and too much regulation. We saw with the GFC, the CFPB was formed. Um, we had Dodd Frank come out come out of that again. You know, probably some good ideas behind it, but um, the you know a lot of people would say that it's it stifles businesses going forward, putting more regulation in place. Um, will we see new regulation coming out of um, the collapse this year? Unfortunately, you probably will. Um, even though, <laughs> and, and I've read both the original legislation, also the legislation done in uh, 2018, 19. The regulars had all the powers they needed to prevent a Silicon Valley bank. They don't need any other powers. So it's kind of interesting when they do their report, they talk about certainly some of their failings and they just say, well, just give us more regulation and we'll do it better next time. But I think it's just human nature, the way bureaucracies work, et cetera there will be additional regulation. There was a Wall Street Journal article yesterday and it was talking about how the large banks were using synthetic instruments to offload risk. And Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan was, was quoted in there and he said, basically, he was talking about increased regulation and increased focus on liquidity and risk, et cetera, and capital. And he's going, there's nothing we can do about it because they're, you know, judge, jury, and ex executioner, the regulators. So there's nothing to do about it. So then they're moving to these instruments where they can kind of offload risk. So they take a pool of loans and they sell a position to a hedge fund. And the hedge fund will absorb, you know, the first 10% of losses or over a certain expected amount, they'll absorb 10%. And then they get paid for that. And so the hedge funds seem to be interested in doing it. And again, from Jamie's point of view, then he gets a different risk allocation for that set of pools. So it reduces his capital drag. So he goes forward. So you are seeing banks already start getting prepared for that or doing things to ameliorate that. I just get concerned. Smells uh, like CDOs uh, to me. Yeah. You know, that's exactly my thought is that it, uh, same thing. Oh, we're dispersing risk. It's going across. Great. The, the world is is fine, but at the end of the day, you know, when it comes home to roost, did you really diversify the risk the way you thought you did? And, and who's left holding the bag? 
It's typically the taxpayers. Well, you're on the board of a small bank. From that vantage point, do markets seem to have stabilized and and are we out of the woods? And I'm speaking specifically on the banking side. Yeah. Yeah. I would say the banks, it has stabilized, although it's it's stable. I liken it to if you look at a swan gliding across the you know the pond it looks very calm underneath it's paddling like crazy yeah i would say you know regional banks smaller banks they're paddling like crazy to make sure the deposit base and the liquidity is staying where where it should be and then the worry is constantly and i talked to some bank investors their worry is is there another crisis out there that might trigger another run on a bank which again starts the whole thing over again so they're still a little concerned that we're in it. But as far as I see, you know, I'm looking at bank annual, you know, quarterly reports, looking at deposits, et cetera. It seems to have slowed down. Although you're looking at some like Schwab Bank, I think announced results and their deposits were down 12%. Now, I don't think it's because people necessarily look at Schwab as, as in trouble, but it's more of the investors just have a lot of choice. And they can right. do it very quickly. Uh, mm. Move in ladder treasuries, you know, do things and move it outside and get outside of the Schwab Bank. And so again, for regional banks, smaller banks, you know, everybody has to be worried about. Yeah, the investors not moving necessarily because they think there's risk, but just because hey, there's great returns over here, and I get on my phone, boom, boom, couple keystrokes, yeah. and the money's gone. Well, Mark, thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with us again. I think we should do this on the anniversary of the SVB yeah. collapse and see yeah. where we are then because we're we're in a um a pretty stable place right now compared to what I thought at least we would be in where I thought we would be in in March when this all happened. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's been it's been a pleasure. Thanks again to Lighter Capital's Chairman Mark Brissimo for sitting down with me today. Ready to fuel your future on your terms? Subscribe to Bootstrap, the lighter side. You'll get ideas for growing your startup from other successful founders who grew their businesses without giving up equity or control. This podcast can be found on Apple and Google Podcasts or directly at lightercapital.com podcast. Until next time, keep your runways long and keep those lights on.